2: LHS is a podcast about Linux, open source, and amateur radio for everyone. Now here are your hosts, Russ K5TUX, Cheryl, W5MOO, and Bill, NE4RD.
1: Well, hello and welcome everybody. You have tuned in to episode number 293 of Linux in the Shack. We are finally back at it. And... It's kind of surprising that there's an episode tonight because I had an engine torn apart an hour ago. Uh, Bill is in West Virginia um, zipping up tents, last I heard, and um, I don't know what Cheryl's been doing all day.
0: Uh, Cheryl's been like running errands and doing her nails. And- okay. okay. All right.
1: <laughs> Those kinds of things. But anyway, we are here to do an episode, and it's our short topic episode, so we should probably get to it. I'm Russ K5TUX.
0: I'm Cheryl W5MOO. And I'm
3: Bill, ne 4rd
0: Thank you for doing, doing that. that? Right, <laughs> right in the middle sup. of my set. Hey, I <laughs> have to make this interesting, right? <laughs> I thought you were done. <laughs> And I thought I was drowning there for a second. So. I,
1: I do tighten up the pauses. You could have, you could have just waited a second. you
3: know the delay is not as much as it normally is. I guess from yeah. here. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so anyway. Yes, episode number 293 is the short topic episode. So, we're going to get into some short topics. Uh, we'll do some amateur radio, some Linuxy and open sourcey things and then we'll combine them together in the Linux and the or Linux and the Ham Shack segment toward the toward the end there before we get to our social media roundup and all that. But, we're going to talk well, we're not going to talk about. Bill's going to talk about the World Scout Jamboree under at least for ham radio purposes under the call sign NA1WJ out there in busy west virginia which has been going on for over a week now and so let let us know what's going on out there in the world scouting world yeah world yeah
3: (laughs) (laughs) that's right i'm out here in west virginia and it's hot hot so hot (laughs) (laughs) living in a tent and then working in a tent and then walking from tent to tent it is uh it's exciting stuff no we've uh we've been having a lot of fun out here um there's uh forty about forty five forty six thousand scouts out here from over a hundred and fifty countries and uh, we we of course have about uh geez uh, I, I would guess somewhere between eight thousand and nine thousand staff um, you know handling all of the uh, all of the program areas and stuff like that I mean our area only has thirty two staff members but uh but uh, there's a lot of stuff going on here to keep 46,000 people entertained. So, uh, yeah, the, the amateur radio station here at NA1WJ has been uh, pretty active. I did not pull the logs today yet, so I don't have today's number. But uh, let's say we're somewhere in the 3,000 QSO range. Um, we've done about 3,000 QSOs, and we've definitely had about 2,500, 2,600 kids uh, come through the station so far. So that's uh, that's good numbers. We, uh, we're we running the program uh, times uh, in the station from like around 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Been running it since, um, well, officially when the uh, Danbury opened on the 22nd. And we'll be continuing to run it until uh, about midday on the 1st. I think they officially closed the programs at 3 p.m. on August 1st. And that's when we'll start breaking down the station and we'll no longer be on the air. Um, but, uh, if you're listening to us live or, uh, listen to us on the radio, you can still catch us on the radio. We're, we're trying to operate the station uh, at night as well. That's why I'm here. I'm actually at the tent where we have the station here with, uh, uh Bill Bode is also here tonight. Uh, and for WEB from the Tampa amateur radio club, he's, uh, he's operating 20. I can hear him. <laughs> you might be able to hear him too through the gate. <laughs> he's, uh, oh, about, uh, 40 foot away from me, but, uh. Uh, We're in a closed tent, a closed vinyl tent, so it's uh, very echoey in here and everything else. But, uh, yeah, we've been a, had a good time. The stations have been operating quite well. We've had a little bit of intermod issues uh, with uh, the stations. I mean, obviously, you put uh, uh, eight stations right next to each other, uh, you're going to have some issues. <laughs> we found uh, our 30-meter station was getting <laughs> into our 17-meter and our 20-meter station because of uh, loose coax. So always check your fittings and check your connections. <laughs> um but uh, yeah the new antennas that we have here we have Thank the- you for
1: that advice Ranger Bill.
3: <laughs> yes. <Yeah>, exactly.
1: <laughs>
3: check those coax. Check those coaxes, kids. Uh yeah, it's like crazy. Uh anyway, <laughs> yeah our new antennas have been doing great. Uh I was just on the 40 meter station uh, just before I came on to the podcast here and um getting great reports, uh, all over the place. So, uh, so they're doing really well. Those are from, uh, JK antennas. And of course we have all the ICOM rigs here and, uh, they've been operating pretty well, no problems with them, you know, pretty well expected. They're, you know, the IC7300s are pretty bulletproof. Uh, uh, and I'm surprised they operate so well, so close together. <laughs> You know, um, with a direct conversion receiver, it's you know probably not the best case scenario to slam slam them all within five foot of each other, all the coaxes within inches of each other, and the antennas within you know sixty feet of each other. So uh, worst case scenario, and uh, they're still working pretty well for the station here. We've been active on uh, pretty much uh, all bands. Uh, I would I would say not so much eighty. Eighty's been kind of flat for us. A little noisy and uh, not too much activity um, pursuing on there. We might try again tonight. But 40 and up have, have been pretty good. We've been operating 40, 20, 30, 17. I think we dabbled a little bit in 15. I don't believe anybody's gotten on 10 yet. Uh, six meters been hot. We actually participated in the CQ Worldwide VHF contest and uh, put in quite a few Qs on that on six meters so uh, so that was done uh, while we are here as well. We have, a, have about a five-element, six-meter beam up on top of the 40-meter uh, rotatable dipole. And uh, a lot of fun, a lot of amateur radio fun. And uh, uh, if you want to check out some of the social media stuff that I've been doing while I've here been here, check out the uh, NA1WJ underscore scouting on Twitter or uh, the Facebook, uh, the Facebook uh, for K2BSA dot scouting on Facebook. Uh, we had the Ares contact. Uh, first time i've ever been part of one of those uh the i s s station i s s uh, sorry the i s s contact uh, through amateur radio and uh that was interesting uh we got uh, definitely a lot of activity on our video on that um uh it went it went off pretty well they did have to switch frequencies real quick at the beginning so we can get the uh, contact going <clears throat> but uh but, yeah it worked out really well the kids uh kids are really interested in it and it was it was interesting to see like the it was very hot when we started it everybody looked really sad (laughs) (laughs) and then as the contact started to happen you could start to see the change in expression in their faces they were all of a sudden well okay this is kind of (laughs) cool so we had about 250 plus kind of gathered around that area we were on a big stage with a big uh imag uh fancy outdoor tv thingy merbobber uh to show video and everything else and we had a you know, uh, the display of the, where the ISS was passing over the station, because we had to use a Belgian station to uh, actually pass the traffic. <clears throat> and we, we got it via Telebridge. But uh, that, that worked pretty well, and uh, I've seen a, quite a few videos uh, that were posted back to us of people that were picking up the ISS going over Europe while they were talking to us. So you can find all those you know, out there on YouTube and, and stuff like that. But, but, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. We launched uh, four balloons here. Those are up. Uh, actually, two of them went down because they haven't come, talked back. But uh, I think we still have two of them up. NA-1WJ-7 and 8 are still uh, still floating. It's nighttime now, so obviously they won't be uh, digipeding anywhere. Uh, but uh, maybe we'll see them in daylight. We'll see where they're at. We uh, last saw the 7-1 up there by uh, um, New Hampshire or Maine or something like that off the coast. And uh, the other one uh, we launched today... Is somewhere, uh, somewhere in West Virginia. It was a kind of went, went east and came back west. We thought it was just going to come back to us, but, uh, <laughs> we, we, who knows? <laughs> so we got all those videos up on, uh, on the YouTube channel as well. I guess I should have mentioned that the K2BSA YouTube channel. Um, check out those. The, the last one, the one they did this morning, I was actually in the tent for, so someone else recorded it. And of course, uh, they, uh, they actually had some, an incident with the balloon. It's kind of funny. So, uh, I, I suggest you go to youtube and watch it it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah don't
1: don't tease it too much i mean don't, yeah. don't give away of anything
3: no no it's it's kind of interesting um yeah so uh, check that last one out that's the na1wj-8 video uh it's it's probably worth a, a laugh or two but anyway <laughs> yeah it's been a lot of fun i'm uh, i'm ready for it to end though i'm, I'm ready to go home <laughs> <laughs> so when
1: does it end and when do you get home
3: so it ends like i say uh the program ends officially on the first at 3 p.m uh we'll begin breakdown at that point uh most likely we'll have the station completely broken down uh that evening and then all we'll have left is our antennas uh which will happen uh, the next uh, day the second so i'm planning on getting out of here on the second which means i should be home uh you know the uh let's say the fourth <laughs> <laughs> safely i'll be home the fourth i'm assuming i'm gonna have to uh spend a couple nights in a hotel probably the first one just to scrub all the scum off me because <clears throat> i won't be able to sit in the car by myself for that long <laughs> i'd be like what's that smell in the car oh, okay, oh that's wait me. that's me <laughs> <laughs> oh so, yeah that'll be my first duty i'll uh i'll probably go find a hotel close by within like four or five hours and shower up and then see how far i get on the way home so yeah so it's, it's a lot of fun and uh, if you can work us get on the air and work us uh, i'll be on uh, 40 meters tonight
1: all right fantastic well i'm going to try and work you i mean it's going to be too late for anyone else who's listening to this after the fact but you know yeah maybe, too bad you well it. i mean it'll go out tomorrow so there will still be a, technically a day and a half or so yeah absolutely um mm. for people to try and work the na1wj if they if they so desire.
3: Yeah, they get a QSL card and everything else, just uh, do a Sazy, or uh, I think we're doing OQRS too for the other people that don't, don't want to bother sending uh, SASE, you know, save whatever. I think they are $2 OQRSs, so, it's, you know, it's pretty cheap.
1: All right, very cool. Anything else you want to say about the WSJ before we uh, move on?
3: No, I can't think of anything specifically, so, uh, yeah, yeah, just try to work us.
1: All right, fantastic. Have you guys been on the, um, like, the DMR and the Jambo Echo Link and all that stuff?
3: yeah we've been on uh Jambo Echo link and we've been on d star I think there's been a few DMR contacts logged but uh not officially from here because we don't really have any DMR gear here on any of the stations. I think that was from the the guys with their um their little walkie what you know handy talkies' because there's a DMR repeater here. But I have absolutely no idea how any of that stuff works, so <laughs> I barely understand D Star. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm not the right guy to talk about that. But so okay. many
1: people come and ask me questions: How do you get
3: onto the D Star and do this or the DMR? I, was like, I have no idea, man.
1: <laughs> well, I, I still don't understand D Star because I haven't studied it yet. But I am now well versed in DMR. So,
3: yeah. This- that's what I hear, so very good, yeah. So yeah, no DMR specifically, but yeah, definitely D star and Echolink. We've been on there, um, tried to be on there actively. We were having some problems early on with the uh, connection between the repeater and uh, and Jambo. I moved Jambo over to uh, AWS just temporarily because it was wigging out over on DigitalOcean. I'm not sure what happened, but
1: uh, <clears throat> it seems to be running fine right now, but uh, yeah, yeah. All right, very good. So try and contact anyone WJ while they're still there before Bill decides to go actually clean himself up and go home. <laughs> yeah. All right, excellent. So moving on from our our, our uh, lead topic for the night, let's talk about some well more amateur radio because <laughs> that was all amateur radio. Um, the first thing we have under our amateur radio topics is the RSGB is announcing new FT4 contests. Uh, the Radio Society of Great Britain. The contest committee has announced a series of contests using the new digital mode FT4. The three short duration events on 80 meters, uh, 3575 USB are aimed at offering experience to FT4 newcomers. Uh, the first one will be on Monday, September 2nd from 1900 to 1959 UTC, only 59 little minutes. But so that should be all you need. You can probably make a thousand contacts. Uh, and then also, uh, the, f- monday october 7th 1900 to 1959 utc and monday november 4th from tw- uh 200 to 2059 utc just because they want to be different i guess so anyway check that out if you want to get some experience with ft4 if you don't have any already and links to information from the AWRL and the rsgb will be in the show notes next we have another story can you read this story me yeah you sure <laughs> Bill's, Bill's been talking a lot, so...
0: What be? Let,
1: let, let him, like, take a breath, take a drink, and then you can read the story about an interesting topic.
0: Okay. So, our next topic is, how did Mayday come to be used as a distress call? And so, the Mayday call originated in the 1920s. A senior radio officer at London's Croydon Airport in London... Um, that's kind of... Anyway... <laughs> Frederick Stanley Mockford was the first to use a signal to indicate emergency situations. Mockford was asked by his seniors to think of a word that would indicate distress and would easily be understood by all pilots and ground staff during an emergency. As much of the traffic at Croydon at the time was to and from Le Bourget Airport in Paris, Mockford proposed the expression Mayday derived from the French word "maider," I believe
3: that means help (coughs) me No, actually, it's pronounced Mayday.
0: (laughs) Gotcha. Okay.
3: (laughs) Surprisingly enough.
0: Gotcha. (laughs) Which means help me and is a shortened form of Vinay Mayday, which means come and help me. SOS for short, for Save Our Souls, sent by Morse code, predates the use of Mayday. In 1927, the International Radio Telegraph Convention adopted Mayday as the radio telephone distress call in place of SOS. And that story came from Eham, linking to Live Mint.
1: Okay, so didn't CQD precede
3: SOS no. possibly? But it wasn't included in the story, so I didn't have that there. Okay,
1: I was just curious.
0: Oh, because I'm up.
1: pretty well. This says that SOS started in 1927. Oh no, 1927 mm-hmm. is when they adopted May Day. May
0: Day. Um, but I'm
1: pretty sure when the titanic was going down when they were telegraphing like the carpathia or whatever they were using cqd not sos
0: 1904 was cqd right by the marconi international marine telecommunication company
3: all right well there you go well maybe they could have used sos
1: (laughs) sos is certainly a lot more (laughs) uh, recognizable (laughs) right (laughs) uh than cqd but
3: yeah yeah i just thought the i thought it was interesting i didn't ever really never really knew read what that about day was, mayday right. yeah no, no it's it funny you... that was french mayday it's actually <laughs> <laughs> yeah. help me to help me
1: <laughs> so you're actually so you're not saying mayday m-a-y-d-a-y you're saying m apostrophe a-i-d-e-r you just don't know, know
2: it. it right, <laughs>
1: right
3: yeah, yeah the pronunciation is, is identical so. same right okay yeah. Yeah. so
0: here's the thing cqd Was effective beginning first February nineteen o four for Marconi installations. SOS was effective the first of April nineteen (laughs) o five by the International Radio Telegraph Convention. So okay, so there you go.
1: That's interesting. Competing standards, yeah. yeah, Competing standards. Well, I I think I understand why SOS took off because CQD no. I mean, when you're, when you're doing something in Morse code, you want it to be efficient, recognizable, blah, 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 blah. And SOS has that. (laughs) CQD, not so much. Not so
0: much, right? Yeah.
1: (laughs) All right. So, anyway, moving on, we've got one more amateur radio topic for tonight, and that is capacitor selection and design for mag loop antennas. Bill?
3: Yeah, if you're interested in building your own mag loop and uh, a bit confused at the capacitor selection and types, uh, this blog post here that I found the other day from KI5AIF is a good summary of his trials and successes and errors. Uh, The short points for for the whole article is, you know, build or buy your capacitor first and then finish the rest of your loop design based upon that capacitor. I know a lot of people think, oh, I'll just build the loop. It's the easy part. Yeah, that sort of is the easy part, but yeah, finding that right capacitor is, is normally the issue. Uh, and the other thing he mentioned is uh, use a vacuum variable capacitor. Those are those big, fancy, expensive ones. <laughs> From what I have experienced, many starting points with mag loops nearly all end with a purchase of a vacuum variable cap. Save yourself time and money spent on preliminary work and just buy the bite the bullet early and yeah that's because they're expensive so uh we have a link here to the ki5 aif's uh, wordpress uh, blog so check that out uh, it's a good resource if you're interested in building maglibs
1: all right very cool i i gotta do more about learning antenna design because there's a there's a whole world there and i only i've pretty much only ever operated long wires and dipoles so i mean I know of all the other kinds of antennas, just never really used them. I saw something the other day about um, a lawn. Was it a lawn chair dipole? Some lawn chair dipole. No, <laughs>
0: I've seen something. I saw something about that recently.
1: Yeah, somebody apparently had plans or something for building a lawn chair dipole. What
3: was that two lawn chairs separated by uh, a <laughs>
1: by coax? <laughs> I think it's one. I think it's uh. A, I am, would assume because I did not read the article that it would be taking one of those metal lawn chairs that, mm-hmm. that are made out of metal tubing and probably bending it or cutting it or both into uh, the shape of a dipole.
0: Um, Already. Right right here is the story on it. it. says, this summer, don't miss the chance to set up your very own lawn chair dipole. Don Wilson, N9ZGE, rigged up a dipole using his SG239 smart tuner and two lawn chairs. He plays the SG two thirty nine on a pole, then ran wires from the RF hot and RF ground connections, one to each of the chairs. Don reports <laughs> that he not only made contacts with this antenna in his radio, but afterwards he had a place to sit down and rest while after or for a while after all that work. Now you can mm. DX from the park or even the beach. Yeah, and it's like our want, lawn chair.
1: pretty sure you don't want to be sitting in the lawn chair when you're making those contacts
0: he has the picture he has here has a chair sitting on what looks like a picnic table yeah so yeah
1: yeah hard pass
0: (laughs) (laughs) we've talked about all kinds of
1: weird antennas on the show before we've talked about antennas that were like miles long we talked about antennas made out of cattle fencing now lawn chairs yeah whatever apparently if it's if it's (laughs) Resonant on some frequency, a ham will try and transmit through it. (laughs) Uh do what you gotta do. Yeah, I guess so. All right, moving on to some open source topics. The first one is core control, a new FOSS Linux tool to help you control your PC with applications, profiles, fan, clock, and power control. Core control aims to be flexible, comfortable, and accessible to regular users. That's you and me, regular users. You can use it to automatically configure your system with a program to uh oh, when a program. No, use it to please okay. I have that, that, that. <laughs> I put my glasses back on. No, just kidding. <laughs> You can use it to automatically configure your system when a program is launched. Works for Windows applications too. I guess that's important. It doesn't matter what the program is, a game, a three D modeling application, a video editor, or even a compiler. It offers you full hardware control per application. The actual version of Core Control automatically applies profiles for native and Windows applications, has basic CPU controls and full AMD GPU control for both old and new models. The goal is to support as much hardware as possible, even from other vendors. So please see future work for more details and a link to the GitLab project Core Control, which is C O R E C T R L will be in the show notes. If this is something that interests you. All right. Let's see. Can Cheryl handle this next one? Merge branch uh, floppy? I'm going to guess no. Bill, merge branch floppy.
3: (laughs) Yeah, so the merge branch floppy. So from a branch commit in Linus's branch of Linux, an actual working physical floppy hardware is getting hard to find. This is is his notes. Uh, And while Willie was able to test this, I think the driver can be considered pretty much dead from an actual hardware standpoint. The hardware that is still sold seems to be mainly USB-based, which doesn't require this legacy driver at all. So, is the floppy dead, or should we say, long live the floppy? We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming this is going to get merged in. I, I, you know, it's much like CD-ROM drives at this point. You know, when's the last time you saw a CD-ROM drive actually in a in a laptop, or you know, I guess desktops maybe still come with a burner or something like that for uh, for giggles. But, Mine doesn't. Uh, but since most most computers, you know, there's, you buy everything digitally anyway, so nobody buys any media.
0: So. I think.
1: Let's see. No, your computer, your computer has an optical drive, and it also has a like a media card reader. Where is it? It's underneath the, the door, the
0: front. Oh, is there a door on the front? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
3: So we'll see. I mean, um yeah, I can't imagine using a floppy anymore for, for anything. I know some people are mentioning that, oh God, I got this recovery, you know, recovery system or whatever. <laughs> it's like it's time to retire
1: that. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but mean, obviously no, you can no still laptops. have an old kernel. <laughs> yeah, no laptops come with, with floppies anymore, at least not that I'm aware of, and very rarely do they come with optical drives anymore, so in fact, this I have a little desktop PC right here that I'm using in my shack, and it has it happens to have an optical drive, but it also has, like, an SD card reader uh, just built right into it. So, and those are handy. Actually, the HP laptops, even though they're junk, they have an SD card reader, too. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So. yeah, and I'm sitting here looking at a boxes of floppies <laughs> that have family pictures on them that we'll probably never get on. Yeah, off that's
3: going to be a problem yeah <laughs> I better start getting those onto the web or something, soon. yeah we have to figure
1: out how to do that
0: how to do that yeah
1: I'm not sure we we probably have some hardware around here that has that has a floppy disk in it, but
0: yeah, we'll have to dig around <clears throat> yeah oh.
1: all right, so say love say love floppy say yeah. floppy. All right. Anyway, so that's uh, the end of our open source topics, and now we're moving on to our Linux in the Shack segment. And Bill put in here that he wants me to talk about DMR since I'm, like, apparently now a DMR guru or something.
3: <laughs> Absolutely.
1: <laughs> well, I definitely know a hell of a lot more about DMR than I did a month ago. I can tell you that. Um, it started with a project where I just wanted to get into DMR because I was tired of everybody talking about DMR and not having any idea what they're talking about. So i decided to jump into it it's a dmr is like a it's a european s- communication spec um, i'm not going to dig through all the information Oh, what was that blows fire
0: <laughs> what okay did bill not hear did that? you not hear
1: that no what was that i don't know sounded like that come from? i don't know because it sounded like clapping or
0: yeah something
1: a- burning i'm not
0: sure
3: how. <laughs> oh that might have been me was it this Oh yeah. Maybe, uh, oh, okay, yeah. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> I was throwing away my trash here. Sorry. I had my I had my crackers and my and my bag of nuts for lunch, so I was Aww. snacking on them, yeah. <laughs>
1: All right. So so I want to talk a little bit about the setup that I have and I want to talk a little bit about DMR, but I want to do it without making this a treatise or a deep dive into DMR because that really should be in a deep dive episode. But unfortunately, when you talk about DMR, it gets pretty deep pretty quick
3: <laughs> so, <laughs> well let me just talk about the hardware that you bought and kind of what you did yeah that. that's
1: that's basically what i'm going to do i'm going to try and touch on some of some of how dmr works um when i do that but without getting into a deep dive we will actually do a, a really good deep dive on dmr at, at a future episode so what i did what i bought initially was a ZUMSPOT spot uh, rpi 3 hat It's just a little board with a SMC antenna connector on it. It's UHF, so it operates on 70 centimeters. It has, I believe, a 10-milliwatt output, and it's created to turn a Raspberry Pi 3 into a DMR hotspot. Now, a DMR hotspot can be thought of like an Echolink Simplex node. So it would be a computer running software for DMR that you connect to a board that has a radio frequency driver, so it's a transceiver and can link your RF communication on DMR to the intertubes. Um, The nice part about it is it uses a Raspberry Pi. It can also use a Raspberry Pi Zero, but I chose the Raspberry Pi version. And they also have a version that comes with a little TFT LCD screen that attaches to it, so you can actually see DMR information right on your Raspberry Pi while it's operating. I opted to not get that option. Uh, it wasn't that much more. I think it was only 20 or 30 bucks. but the version that I did get allows me to add that later if I want it. But I've been monitoring all the DMR activity on the hotspot via the web. It has a web-based interface, and so I didn't need the little TFT screen, and I'm not usually sitting near where the hotspot is anyway, so the screen seemed kind of useless to me. Um, now, the software I'm using is a software that was mentioned on the show, Rich, when of our You know, former co-host called in and said, we need to talk to Andy Taylor, Mike Whiskey Zero, Mike Whiskey Zulu, who is the maintainer of the Pi Star application. And this is kind of what started me down the road of DMR. Um, so with that information in hand, I went out and got the hotspot. I paid a hundred bucks for it and I already had a Raspberry Pi three here in the house. So I put the hat on it, installed. You know, downloaded and installed the Pi Star image, uh, watched a YouTube video or two or 20, <laughs> uh, on how to set up and configure Pi Star, uh, got all of that working and then had to figure out how DMR worked. Now, the first, the first hurdle I, I came to was the fact that the hotspot is just a hotspot. I was mistakenly under the impression, the, or the impression that if I had this hotspot, that there would be a computer-based interface into the system. So I could use, for example, a sound card, like a, you know, wind modem type thing to actually talk DMR. But as far as I can tell, that doesn't exist. Now, this is a quick diversion to say that if that actually does exist, somebody please tell me. (laughs) Uh, But as far as I can tell, it doesn't. So... The hotspot creates an RF gateway, basically a simplex link. Now there are duplex, yeah. there are duplex boards that you can get MMDVM boards that allow you to set up a Raspberry Pi in roughly equivalent to repeater operation. Um, it's half duplex, but it works like a repeater. So simplex node just allows you to connect RF to a DMR gateway, and then you just talk using a radio. Well i bought the hotspot but i didn't have a radio so my investment immediately doubled (laughs) uh, because i had to buy a radio and you need to buy a radio that does dmr if you're going to do this now the one that i chose to buy is the titara md380 Uh, these are branded tyt these days Um, they used to be called something else um, or there's another company that made the same exact radio. But I bought the MD380, and I spent like ninety five dollars on it. And mine came with, you know, a high capacity battery, a charger, programming cable, programming software, and such and so forth. Uh, didn't seem bad for ninety five dollars. So, so I had the hardware in hand. Finally, I had my hotspot all set up. Went through the Pi-Star configuration. And then I had to learn everything there is to know about DMR because you have to understand it all before you can do anything. Um, I, I found out really quickly that you can't half-ass your way into understanding DMR. You, you have to you have to have that moment where you've come to complete understanding about how the entire system works before you can do step one. <laughs> um, I'm hoping that I can do a YouTube video series on the Linux and the Hamshack channel that actually explains... Now, I came to my closure and knowledge about how DMR works so I can uh, make it easier for other people to do it as well because it is not like picking up a handy talkie, pressing the PTT, and talking. There's way more to it than that. And that's why there's going to be a deep dive episode and hopefully some YouTube videos that walk this through. Now, there are YouTube videos and stuff that, that outline this as well, but I found I had to watch quite a few of them to get the whole picture. So let's see, how do I do this without going into the whole thing? Anyway, so basically what you do is you have to set up these, these radios. The, the configuration of DMR is not complex like brain surgery, but complex enough that you can't really program a DMR radio without using a computer. Because there are so many things you have to configure just to get it running just to get a single station, you know onto your radio so that you can talk to anyone requires some real work. <laughs> but the point is that once you've jumped that hurdle, it's there's kind of like a real steep learning curve, but when once you've crested that hill, then it's all downhill from there. But you do have to have a programmer for for the radio, and you do you do have to program it using a computer not using the radio itself it would be practically impossible to to program dmr on the radio so um, without going into everything you have to set up basically the way it works is you have to go to a website uh the dmr mark service dmr m-a-r-c service, D-M-R-M-A-R-C, and you have to get an i uh an id uh similar to like a node id on echolink you have to have an id in the dmr system. That's the very first thing you have to do. If you don't have a DMR ID, you can't use DMR. And you do have to be a licensed amateur in order to get a DMR ID. You have to actually send them a copy, not, not a physical copy, but a, like a picture of your actual amateur radio license. They will then issue you an ID. And I believe anything you get nowadays will be a seven-digit ID starting with three. Uh, if you're in the United States, I believe that varies by country or area. Uh, my DMR ID is 3144897. So the system knows me by that ID. You have to program that ID and your call sign into Pi Star in order to get Pi Star, the hotspot, to actually do something. Um, and then there's a lot of other configuration that'll be talked about in a future episode. But once you've done that, then, and once you've got your radio set up, you have, um, connection to either individuals which are called personal calls where you can connect your DMR ID to directly to someone else's DMR ID, whether RF or internet completely. And that is just like a person to person call that will go through the system. And that actually has a, like a BBS type setup where there's a mailbox for uh, sending and retrieving information messages and things like that. Or you can connect to chat rooms or what in the DMR world are called talk groups. Uh, There are, there are two large DMR networks. There's the DMR plus network and the Brandmeister network. Um they're they're sort of kind of coordinated these days and they tend to align their talk group numbers equivalently. So no matter which one you're connected to, you should know what the talk group numbers are. Um, And there's a list. You can just go on the web and search them. For example, talk group number ninety one is called Worldwide. And that is basically, if you connect to talk group 91, you will likely hear people using DMR from anywhere in the world. And then there are lots of other more specific talk groups. There are ones for states, regions, countries. Uh, there's one for maritime. There's one, I mean, there's several for MCOM. There's stuff like that. And you like you said, you, you know, in order to use these talk groups or know which ones you want to use, you just go to the Brandmeister or the DMR Plus network sites and look them up. They'll tell you what's what. So once you know what your groups are and you have your radios programmed and you have your little hotspot at home or you have access to a DMR enabled repeater somewhere near you, uh, you can key up on one of those talk groups. You can talk to somebody in a private call from, you know, from your DMR repeater through the Internet to somewhere else on the Internet. It'll come out RF on some other repeater, on some other hotspot uh, or some other radio. So in a way, it's like all of the other digital services like Echolink and DSTAR, Yezu System Fusion. And in fact, all of these systems have ways to cross-link. You can do DMR to DSTAR or DSTAR to Fusion or Fusion to DMR or whatever. But that part of the the world I have not gotten into yet. DMR is because it's digital. There's no essentially no QRM or QRN. there can be bit errors in transmissions, depending on how good the connection is between a repeater and a radio or something like that. But you're never going to get, you know, noise. You might get some audio dropouts or garbled, um, you know, phrases, things like that. But for the most part, signals are pretty pure. And the, you know, the little ZumbSpot hotspot, and there's lots of different hotspots. There's MMDVM hotspots. There's uh, many more than I can't think of. Hopefully, I'll get links to all of those in the show notes, so you can, you know, choose the one that's right for you. But once, you know, once you got your radio, once you're connected to it, and once you sort of understand how DMR works, it's a pretty cool system. And I personally used a special hacked firmware for the Taitera MD380. It's called what do they call it? MD380 Tools with a Z. And if you if you flash your MD380 with that. It gives you a whole bunch of extra functionality, and it also allows you to download the entire DMR ID database into your radio so that when somebody keys up and your radio displays the DMR ID, instead of just showing the the number, it actually does a lookup for the table in your radio and shows you the call sign, the name, the location, and everything else about that contact uh, right on your radio, which is pretty neat. You definitely don't get that in other systems. Um, so you can just like pop onto top group ninety one and if somebody is talking, you just look at your radio and you know exactly who's talking. You don't have to you know because all that information is sent in the transmission. Uh, you don't have to wait for them to ID or anything like that. You just know who it is. Um, i'm I'm finding DMR pretty interesting. I, was I actually programmed a zone for a local repeater as well so that when I'm not at the house, I can use DMR. Uh, from one of the two repeaters that are in a nearby town that, that are actually DMR enabled. And I was actually able to listen to the North America talk group, uh, through a repeater on my little DMR handheld. And that was pretty cool. And even though I was in the car with one watt connected to a repeater, all of the connections to me or all of the connections I was listening to, uh, were a hundred percent crystal clear digital audio. There's a, because of the codec, there's a little bit of, you know, roboting and stuff every now and then, but it's so nice to hear super clear audio. And, and of course, I was listening to North America, so I was hearing stations from Oregon and New Jersey and, and all over North America on my little handy talkie, uh, using a local repeater. So I gotta say, I'm really digging DMR. Um, it's, it's only one of the digital communication technologies that's out there. I'm hoping to learn as much about DSTAR and system fusion and NXTN and P twenty five and all the other ones that are out there as, as well. Uh but DMR is the one I chose to you know start with. And it turns out the spot has the ability to do uh all of those modes. It can do it can do DMR, D Star, Yuzu System Fusion, P twenty five and NXTN. It can do all of them. So if you have any of those radios or any device that can operate on any of those modes, the spot can be a hot spot for it. And it can also do cross licking, but that's going to be Something for a later topic, because I have not dived into that yet.
3: So, so. on the spot, uh-huh. Um, did it come with its own, like, prepackaged OS to load on your Raspberry Pi?
1: No, that's what PyStar Pi is. Pi-Star is the is the OS. Oh, okay. So you
3: loaded PyStar, and, and that, that took care of that all controls, the configuration.
1: Right. It's pre-configured for a whole bunch of different um, hats and uh, other MMDVM devices, USB ones, et cetera.
3: And what about the that like uh, is that like a Raspbian as well or
1: uh, I I believe it's based on Raspbian yes uh, okay. but it presents everything as a web interface you don't oh, okay you don't you don't have to get into the OS pretty much at all I did because I I wanted to set up a static IP address on my Pi but yeah. that's the only thing I had to do through the CLI everything else is controlled by the web GUI awesome awesome and if you have a you know a Uh, Wi-Fi enabled Pi, which I do, Um, you set it up initially by connecting to it through a physical connection, and then it allows you to set up the Wi-Fi. You enable the Wi-Fi, and then you never have to touch the Pi again. You put it somewhere, it's Wi-Fi enabled, you connect to it, and you do everything through the GUI. Nice. Yep. It even monitors the system. It gives you, like, CPU temp, uh, CPU load, all that stuff right through the GUI. So while you're monitoring your you know, your digital connections and seeing who's talking and everything else. Cause it gives you a list. It shows you who's coming in through the RF, who's coming in through the network, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it also gives you the opportunity to sort of see how your pie is performing as well. So
3: Interesting. Interesting. So that runs for like what 140 bucks or something like
1: that. Uh, I, I paid a hundred dollars for the zone spot. Oh, okay. Um, you can get a zone spot on
0: prime day though, wasn't it?
1: No, no, no. Oh, you can get a zoom spot that has a um that is the zoom spot itself with a raspberry pi 0 and the tft screen for like 149 bucks so oh, that's okay. that's like everything all together and i believe it already comes with pi star on it ah uh, that's what i was looking at here yeah that's, that's, the that's like the outlet complete outlet solution okay. <laughs>
3: Okay, uh, so that this you just bought the actual board itself.
1: I just bought the board because I already had a Pi three. I wasn't doing anything with, and I didn't feel like I needed the LCD screen because I'm never at the hotspot when I'm using it. I'm always doing it through my radio. So, cool,
2: cool.
3: Oh yeah, and, it's interesting, interesting
1: use. Hmm. Yeah, and if you have if you have any digital radio, like let's say you have a D Star radio, hmm. um, or a, or a Yaesu System Fusion radio. Um, it can do any of them. It doesn't have to be DMR. It just happens to be that that's what I started with. So I could have bought a ZUM spot and a D-Star rig and and done and gone that way, but I didn't. <laughs> oh, did you go away? No, no, no. no okay. I just no. <laughs> now the gateway. The gateway can like you can have the ZUM spot on all of those modes, yeah. all the time. But if you don't have a radio to decode them, it's kind of useless to you. Ah. Uh,
3: so how far away can you get from the zoom spot?
1: Um, I got to tell you, surprisingly far.
3: <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, I I tested this out the other day. I got about three quarters of a mile from my zone spot and was still able to use it. Wowzers! And it's only a ten milliwatts 10 of power. Milliwatt. Yep.
3: Well, cool. Another good use for a Raspberry Pi.
1: Yep. Absolutely. I, I mean, I literally had the thing sitting on the shelf for probably a year, maybe more. And this came along and I was like, Oh hell yes. I, I can now use my pie for something. <laughs> and it, it has been flawless. It really has. Um, it's sitting up on there, there on the shelf. And anytime I want to kick on DMR and listen to calls from all around the world, I just uh, connect to talk group 91 and they all start flooding in. I've heard calls from places I didn't know existed. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, yeah. So it's really cool. Well, anyway, so that, that's, that's like a real real super high level overview because i mean dmr specifically you can get way way down into it and when once you get to configuring a radio there there really is a a point where you've got to have a little moment and and everything sort of comes together because until you have that moment none of it makes any sense at all (laughs) Um, because it uses some digital technologies that are in the commercial space like time division multiplexing and it also uses what are called color codes, which are the DMR equivalent of PL tones. But if you just come across all these, all this terminology like time slots and color codes and blah, 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 and you have never heard this stuff before, um, it, it gets frustrating quickly. So I hope to uh, do do a deep dive and do some YouTube videos that take some of that frustration away. So the frustration that I felt. <laughs> All right, well that is all I have to say for DMR today. Uh, we were we're definitely going to revisit it though, um, because there's lots to be said about it. And since I already have the hotspot and it can do all those other modes, I may just figure out some way to uh, like, you know, activate D Star and then figure out the world of D Star as well. So we'll get to that when we get to that. And in the meantime, that's pretty much the end of the show. So we've come down to the social media roundup, and we'll let Cheryl take this one.
0: Alrighty then. So for this time, for our Patreons, we have Randolph Smith, David Jaquay, Doug Rutter, Stephen Harp, Andy Webster, Pete Caffrey, Cubicle Nate, Darren King, Donald Gover, John Spriggs, Jonas Rulo, Paul Griffith, Robert Pitts, Samuel Vimes, Steve Metcalf, Steve Sainer, and William Heckelman. For our subscriptions, we have Michael Braddack, Fred Cole, Randolph Smith, Kevin Ivey, Bill Collins, Tony Coberly, James Lewis, Jeff Zimmerman, Steve Hepler, Michael Jopling, Todd Bowers, Thor Weekman, Charlie Brown, Wayne Carpenter, Bill Pioter, Darren King, Dylan Engle, Alan Wilson, John Clark, Robert Halliday, Brian Smith, Johnny Kinsey, Ronald Ikey, Robert Yerkie, Michael Connolly, and Jeremy Hall. For Facebook, we have John Litz, Russ Banta, Steve Carr, Stephen Lester, and Marty Puckett. For, tr- uh, for Twitter, we have at Michael P. Nash, at The Goose Milk, at Brian Garber, at W. Creek Elder Law, at KN6DAF, at Morse Vibes, at Circle37, at Alfonso145, and at Randy Knows. On YouTube, we have Michael Dye, The Martorius, and Jorge Suarez. Uh, Nobody on the mailing list. And for merchandise sales, we have Scott Meyer.
1: Yes, and I would like to say to Scott Meyer that we have been so busy here that I did not see your order come in. It it came in on the 26th of June. Um. Yeah, but we have been crazy busy around here so the order was for a usb stick so i'm going to get in contact with scott meyer i'm going to find out what he wants on this usb stick and he's going to get a usb stick for free (laughs) because that's only fair i mean so i apologize for not even getting around to this and didn't see you know not seeing it for a month uh it's pretty much unacceptable so uh you'll get a you'll get a free usb stick and probably some other things too (laughs) all (laughs) right so But thank you, everybody, for uh, becoming a subscriber and supporting the program by being a listener uh, or financially. If you're a Patreon or a PayPal subscriber, we appreciate that. It helps keep the lights on and keep us going and doing the thing we do. And with that, I think we're going to close down episode number 293 of Linux in the Ham Shack. And we'll say we hope everybody has a good week and we'll do it all again next Monday when it comes around.
0: Mm -hmm. I'm Russ, K5-T-U-X. I'm Cheryl, W5-M-O-O. And I'm waiting. Oh, wait,
3: no, never mind. I'm Bill henney <laughs> seventy three. <laughs>
2: listening to this episode of Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a community-sponsored podcast. The live show is recorded every Monday night at 8pm Central Time, plus or minus QRL. Connect to the live stream at url.bcts.info stroke LHS Live. Our website is located at lhspodcast.info. You can support the podcast by visiting the LHS Patreon page,